Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. But you guys had a great story that you were telling me on the way out. I put them on the spot. They had no idea we were going to do this. But can you give us a little bit of background on kind of what you were dealing with and and what happened? Yeah, so um, my life has been a bit of a health battle up and down, emotional battle up and down, trauma battle up and down. But about two months ago, um, after three kids, miracles, somehow they grew in me, um, I found out I had a tumor in my uterus after two miscarriages last year. And, uh, wow. (laughs) So I was like, what? Okay, Uh, this is a battle. And I'm ready. God was preparing me for this. In January, before I found out, God said, hey, through one of my friends, Kelly, I don't know if she's here. She said, hey, get to know me. God said, hey, open your Bible. (laughs) Don't read that devotion. Read my word. Get to know me. Cling to me right now. I said, okay, I don't know what is going on here. But like urgently, instead of going for a run in the morning, instead of going to watch the sunrise in the morning, I whipped open my Bible and just said, what do you have for me today? <laughs> and I don't, I don't know any of this. You know, I can't recite scripture like a lot of you can. And I'm from a family of atheists. And God has held me in his warm blanket <laughs> from the moment, from before I was born. So last weekend, thank you for standing up and, and praying for me. And thank you, God, for making me let go and let God. Because I think he, that's what he was waiting for. This week, I had imaging done, and it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Not only that, when I was, thank you, God. I've had cysts covering my ovaries since I was 16 years old. And they're in there. They're like, wait a minute. (laughs) Completely clear. (laughs) Gone. And last, last Sunday, what happened here was my emotional pain my early childhood trauma, my childhood abandonment, my first eight weeks in an incubator, my earthly, the loss of my love of my earthly father, gone. That's what I was praising all week. And then he gave me no more tumor. And then he gave me no more cysts. What? <laughs> like that pain I felt every day, like searching for love, it's already there. And I wore my Sunday best for this today. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's awesome. She came in with it Sunday morning, got prayed for, and it's gone. All of it. I I love that it's not just the physical stuff that God can heal. We... uh, it's when Jesus, it says when he moved through ministering, he healed everybody of everything. That means when Jesus touched somebody and they got healed of leprosy, they got healed of everything else too. So everybody of everything, I never want to stop short of that stuff. And you probably weren't even asking for that. That was just like, if you can just do this one thing, and he's like, one thing. Can we pray for you? Honey, can you pray? God, we just thank you. I'm going to cry, actually. So if I not cry, it's good for good reasons, right? <laughs> um, Jesus, we just bless what you're doing here. We bless what you have done and continue to do in her. Thank you for divine health. Divine healing is hers. It is ours through the cross of Christ. We, get, we give you honor and praise for this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you for the medically documented testimony now because it's medically documented. People can't deny it. Even the atheist family can't deny it. And so we lift them up to you and pray that this was 
himself and the testimony of Jesus, what he's done here, would soften their hearts and soften them to the gospel in Jesus' name, that they'd submit their lives to you, Jesus, and come into the kingdom through it. Thank you for testimony. Thank you for healings. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. That's fantastic. Beautiful. Praise God. Anybody else have any? <laughs> Trump, Trump that one. You know what? Jesus loves to one-up stuff. You think that's good? Well, I got healed of, you know what I mean? That's one where you're allowed to do the one-upper thing. Uh, but thank God. That's, that's just beautiful. She just had a soccer game this morning. That's why she's, you can dress like that without a soccer game. It doesn't really matter. It's cool. You can come as you are. Um, but you know you're not afraid of anything when you're playing soccer games in a lightning storm. So, well done. That's, that's impressive. Hey, we've got, um, next week is Easter. Can you believe it? Easter. Where's Norm? By the way, how many does that make, by the way? Ariel, so that's, is that five? Four or five? Where's Dave? How many cancer healings is that now? One, two, three, four. That's five. That's number five. That's the fifth person that's gotten healed of cancer here. I'm just trying to think of all the names going through my head. Dave over here got healed. Norm got healed. Donnie got healed. There's two more. Keith. Oh, Marcy's sister. Yeah, is that five or six? That's just awesome. Do you know when we first, uh, I'm now taking applications for assistance for helping me figure out this thing right now. Uh, it doesn't pay very well, but we'll give you free coffee. Is that okay? <laughs> I got it, Larry. Thank you. You're awesome. Um, that's our, the first thing we did in this building. So we, when we were first thinking about moving uh, and, and using this building, we had a prayer meeting in here at first, and um, the owners, uh, her sister had very, she had cancer in her bones so bad that it was actually breaking her bones. Like it was causing a brittleness in her body that her, her leg would break because of the cancer. And the very first thing we did was have a prayer meeting, and we prayed for her heal here, and she got completely healed. She was here the first Sunday that we had. She's walking around, no cancer, nothing. It's gone. God heals. Amen? I don't want to get jaded to that stuff. So part of the sacrifice of the cross is not just redemption from sin, but it's healing of our physical sickness as well. That's part of the package it's on the menu. We can have physical healing today, as she demonstrated this morning. And so it's not just, let me do the best I can on earth and eventually I'll get into heaven. God's not trying to get Christians into heaven. He's trying to get heaven into Christians. He's trying to get heaven into us so that we can take heaven into our world and be a salt and a light to a world that desperately needs it. And I have found that in my life, one of the most effective means of evangelism is not my ability to communicate the gospel. It's somebody that just got healed of cancer because you can't explain that away. I love Norm's doctor. He, I remember when he, when he got healed of the melanoma and, and stage four brain cancer, his doctor, this quote will never leave my mind. He goes, my medicine doesn't do that. He goes, what have you been doing? He goes, I've been praying. He goes, my medicine doesn't do that. Now, I, I'm not against medicine. But when medicine can't do something, God still has the final say. And so we're going to pray for healing at that Good Friday service as well, too. That's going to be part of that as well. So if you need healing in your body, you got sick people, I guess I just decided that right now because we hadn't talked about that prior, but we're going to make that a healing service, too. So that's 7 p.m. Friday here, and then Easter Sunday morning, 10 a.m., that'll be here as well. And we're just going to preach the gospel. We're going to see people healed. We're going to see people saved. Our kids are going to have a great time. And then we're going to have food, too. Did I mention that? I thought you'd be a little more excited about food, but that's okay. I don't know if you know that, but there's a chef that actually runs this place. It's going to be, yes, the quiche will be back with a tomato coulis. Anybody like the quiche we had before? Cinnamon buns. I don't know what else he's got. I talked to John. He's like, let's do a whole buffet. I'm like, hang on, hang on. Let's just... And then I get the invoice, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> We're going to talk about worry. Worry. Matthew chapter 6. We're actually not going to talk about worry. We're going to talk about how to get over it. Few things shorten life more than worry. It'll literally shorten your life. The stress that comes with anxiety and worry will either make your life shorter or it'll make it miserable, which makes you want it to be shorter anyway. 
And boy, it was 2020, what year is it, 2021? How many can't keep track anymore? 2020 was a year full of worry. Well, it was certainly full of the potential for worry. And there were certainly all kinds of things trying to grab our attention to keep us focused on the things that would make us worry. And it almost gets to the point where if you're not worrying about everything, well, then what's wrong with you? Like you're supposed to worry. There's a pandemic. Why aren't you running around scared and locking doors and the economy is falling apart? And you're like, well, I'm just not worried. Why not? If you don't worry, then something's wrong with you. Where worry has not only become acceptable, it's become required to function in our society. But God has something else to say about that. Because we weren't created for worry. We were created for worship. It's funny how worship and worry can't really exist in the same heart, can they? Fear and worship can't exist in the same heart. Because when I engage in worship, my perspective changes. And so I want to just share a thought from Jesus this morning. From Matthew chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles. Did I already tell you Matthew 6? Matthew chapter 6. We'll put it up on the screens if you don't have a Bible with you. I just realized I'm really tall to stand in front of that screen. Matthew chapter 6. Still not working, is it? And we're going to have a look in verse 19. We're going to read a little bit of Scripture here and jump around a little bit. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store, it's funny, I just read an article this morning. Do you know what's happening all in Hollywood right now? A lot of the like, really rich Hollywood movie stars and, and Beyonce, was the articles about her, they're getting their storage units broken into. That's funny, I just realized I read that article this morning. Like their store, they have so much stuff that they're having to get storage units to store millions of dollars worth of stuff. And all these thieves have figured that out and they're breaking into their storage unit and storing all their stuff. And I'm reading here, don't but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. You break into my storage unit, you're going to get some moldy old sound equipment and, uh, that we still haven't figured out what to do with. And uh, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But Verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we're going to jump down to verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. This is all part of the same conversation Jesus is having. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, store treasures in heaven. Then he says, do not worry about your life. These things are connected. What you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and, let your, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Another translation says, can add a single cubit to your height. I don't think I need to add a cubit. I don't even know how big a cubit is, but I don't need to add any more height to my life. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, how many of you are glad there's a but? So all of that, and he says, but, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What are the things? Food, clothes, water. Those are the things. Not the G6 to replace the G5. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not worry about your life. What, what causes worry? What creates the anxiety that, that we often get 
attacked with or consumed with. I think one of the things that creates worry is simply wrong perspective. We view things from the wrong viewpoint. Do you remember the moment after Jesus was baptized and he was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights? He fasted, didn't have anything to eat or drink. What was the devil doing? The devil was trying to change Jesus' perspective. Let me get you away from your friends. Let me get you away, seemingly, from the presence of the Father. And let me take you for a walk and get you to see things from my perspective. See, I'm going to show you all the kingdoms of the earth. And you can have them if you just bow down to me. You know what the devil was saying? You need all of these things. He's trying to get Jesus to see it from his perspective. You really haven't accomplished anything until you have all of these kingdoms. And you need me to get them. That's the enemy's perspective. You need this, and you need me to help you get this. And he changes his perspective. But Jesus, understanding who he was, did not take on the perspective of the one who was painting the picture for him. And instead of responding with, never thought I needed that before, but maybe I did. A person, friend of mine posted a picture of a, a brand new truck that he just bought for the zombie apocalypse, I think he said. And I looked at it and went, man, that's my dream truck. I need one of those. I was happy with my minivan until I saw that truck. Now my perspective has changed. I didn't think I needed it, but apparently I do need that truck. It's funny how when we see things that we hadn't considered before, if our heart is not in the right place and if we don't know who we are, we suddenly feel like we need the thing that somebody else has. We were fine until we saw their thing, but now we're like, oh, I think I might need that. Wrong perspective leads to wrong priorities. You see, when my perspective is something that what I have is not enough and what God has provided me is not enough, then my priority becomes on attaining the thing that I didn't think I needed before, but now because my perspective has changed, my priorities become around getting that thing. And so rather than seeking the kingdom first, I've pursued the kingdom of things. It's a real trap to fall into. I don't think anybody wakes up and just goes, that's it, not following God anymore. I'm going to be a millionaire and I don't need God to do it. I think it becomes the gradual looking at what your neighbor's got. Looking at the career that somebody else has and thinking, well, I, I was happy with where I was, but maybe I do need some things. And if I need that, I need to put something in my life that will help me get that. Maybe I need to be a little, little less precise on my taxes this year. Then I'll have a little bit of extra cash left over and I can achieve that thing. Maybe, maybe I don't need to do exactly what God's been telling me to do because this offer that I've got over here, it requires some compromise, but when the money comes in, surely that will do some sort of kingdom good, and yet you know God's told you not to do that thing. Wrong perspectives lead to wrong priorities. And when my perspective is off, I seek the wrong things first. What did Jesus say? Seek the kingdom of God first. When my perspective is wrong, I seek the wrong things first. Now, it doesn't mean we can't have great things. It doesn't mean we, God doesn't want us to have nice things. He just doesn't want us to pursue those things. He's saying pursue the kingdom first and His righteousness, and all that stuff will be added on to you. Here's the problem with that. I think we hear that and we think, Pursue the kingdom and I'll get all the stuff. So we pursue the kingdom, but it's, it's looking for the stuff. Do you know what I mean? And that's not really a pursuit of the kingdom. It's still a pursuit of things, maybe in the direction of the kingdom. But the, the idea of seeking the kingdom first is not seeking the kingdom so that we'll get the things. It means seeking the king. Because he's more valuable than anything you could possibly imagine. Wrong perspective creates worry. 
That's what creates worry in people's hearts. They pursue things instead of the kingdom. Paul wrote it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. He's warning the Philippian church against people that do pursue things instead of the kingdom. And he says, For as often as I have told you before, and now tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul is pleading with the church. He's saying it in tears. Their mind is set on earthly things. Please, don't get your mind set on earthly things. They're going to burn. They're going to go away. They won't last. Stop getting your mind set on something that's not going to last anyway. When my mind prioritizes earthly things, this is what Paul's saying. When I'm prioritizing earthly things, I become an enemy of the cross. Oh, that's hard. An enemy of the cross. Simply by pursuing things instead of God and instead of His kingdom, I'm an enemy. Because the cross is the place of sacrifice. The cross is the place where all earthly things and my dependence on them goes to die. So when Jesus says, I want you to pick up your cross daily and follow me, it doesn't mean you've got to be crucified every day. In fact, I don't have to be crucified at all. Jesus did that for me. He says to crucify my flesh. What that means is I'm crucifying my dependence on the world and its things. I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm not seeking after it. I'm not worried when I don't have it. It's the pursuit of the things that ends up creating worry in our hearts because our hearts weren't meant to be tied to this world. Our hearts are in the kingdom. It's tied to the king and it's tied to the kingdom. So pick up your cross daily. When I pick up my cross daily, when I'm spending time in prayer, I'm asking him, God, is there anything that I've become dependent on in this world that should be dependent upon you? Have I just looked at the church bank account and go, oh, we're doing pretty good, and then gone, God, it's okay if you don't show up because we got enough money to get people and advertise and have a good marketing campaign. No. Lord, I thank you for what's happening, but if you don't show up, we're sunk. If you don't show up, there's no reason to gather. It's your presence that we're longing for. Not a bank account, not a building. Those things will come. God, I was on a long bike ride yesterday, and God was speaking to me very clearly about a building. We're renting this facility now, and it's great. It's beautiful. And I know we're going to need a facility for our own at some point because we're going to outgrow every place we've been. And God just goes... I don't want you to pursue any of that. And he said, in fact, I don't want you to look at anything until this particular thing happens, which was like, I was like, okay. And he's trying to tune me back in to go, not that I was focusing on it, but don't focus on the things. Because if you focus on me and my presence, those things will come. But if you focus on the things... Do you know the problem? Is you can... If you pursue the kingdom, you won't miss the things. But you can pursue the things and miss the kingdom. Jesus said it like this, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his very soul? I don't want to get to the point where I've gained the whole world and then lose my soul. I want to get arrested now by the Holy Spirit to go, hey, you're pursuing a thing. Thank you, Jesus. Boom, nail that to the cross. And how convenient is it? I just happen to be carrying my cross with me everywhere I go. So as soon as the Holy Spirit reveals to me, this is an area of your life where you've begun to pursue things, I go, oh, let me get that off my back. Boom, nail it. Come on, let's go. Anything else, God? And I'm carrying my cross with me. Not for everybody else to see. The cross is for me to bear so that when I find myself having a dependence on the things of this world, I can just nail it right to the cross. Does that make sense? Psalm chapter 10, verse 4. David writes, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. 
And in all of his thoughts, there is no room for God. So what makes the man wicked? It's that he doesn't seek God. It's not that he's done bad things. It's that he hasn't even sought God because there's no room for God in his mind. Jesus shifts our priorities by bringing us into his kingdom. That's the great part about it. Our priority shifts when he brings us in. That verse that I read in Philippians, the last part of that, I probably skipped around, sorry, thank you guys are doing words, the Philippians verse. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Did you see that? Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. Our citizenship, so we live on the earth, right? But our citizenship is in heaven. Philippi, the city where he was living in, understood very well the benefits of citizenship. Unlike a lot of the other uh, towns that were these, or the cities where these churches existed, Philippi was actually a Roman colony. But most of the Philippians who lived in Philippi had never actually been to Rome before. Yet because this was a Roman colony, they were made Roman citizens. And having citizenship had its privileges. It means that they weren't subject to the same things that non-citizens were subject to. Remember when Paul said, I'm a Roman citizen, and they all freaked out because they were torturing him. They're like, "Uh uh-oh, we're not supposed to do that to citizens. So they understood what citizenship was like. And he's saying that we are citizens of heaven. That means that we here as the church, and I don't just mean the physical gathering that we have together, but all the believers together, we are a colony of heaven. Philippi was a colony of Rome. They got it. We are Rome here. We're not like a cheaper version of it. We've never even been to Rome, but we are Rome here. So we are citizens. This is Rome. We are heaven. We're a colony of heaven. We're not just a bunch of people that think the same things and post the same things. And, but we're a colony of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. So when we gather together, this is heaven. Do you get that? It's not just where you go when you die. We can have heaven here now. Jesus prayed, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus would not have prayed that if we couldn't have heaven now. The good news is it gets even better when Jesus comes back because there's going to be a new heaven, right? But we can have heaven now. We are that colony of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. So heaven's perspective gives me heaven's priorities. Because I'm a citizen of heaven, I have heaven's perspective. I don't look at the world as a citizen of the world and think, well, if my neighbor has a sweet black truck, I need a sweet black truck. My, I'm looking at that going, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm happy that they have a black truck. One day, maybe, in Jesus' name. But, but I'm not looking at that thing. I, I need that. I can't, I can't fulfill the call of God on my life without a black F-150, four-door, king cab, 35-inch wheels, three-inch lift, not a body lift. It's got to be a suspension lift. If I don't have that, I'm looking at it from the perspective of heaven. I've got everything that I have belongs to you. It's all going to get burned up anyway. All I need is you. You provide me the greatest gift you've ever given me and a wife. You've provided me three beautiful kids, but even them, God, they belong to you before they belong to me. I want your perspective on this world. Because the things of this world are burning. There's things that churches have been built on that's burning. There's things, there's lies the church has been told that they need to have. And they don't. They need the king and the kingdom and his presence and all the rest is great fluff, but it's going to burn away. And you can have all of the accoutrements of church and miss the presence of God and miss the king and miss the kingdom. And what's the point? I thank God that we have some stuff, but our focus will never be on stuff. Our focus will never be on coffee and chairs. It's good. I like it. I want it to be good. It's just not going to be a focus. Money is not going to be a focus here. We'll teach on it. We'll give you opportunities to give. I think God does have a lot to say about it. Not as much as some would tell you he has to say about it. 
But it's just not going to be a focus. The focus is going to be on the king, and it's going to be on the kingdom. It's going to be on you hearing from God for yourself and encouraging you to obey God in whatever He tells you to do. Heaven's perspective gives me heaven's priorities. I think another reason we end up in worry, probably tied to this as well, is unmet expectations. I've had a point in my Christian life when I've had the, I thought by now. God, I've been serving you by now. I thought I'd be married by now. God, I've been, I've been, I've been tithing, I've been giving, and yet the business breakthrough isn't coming. I thought by now. God, I've been praying. I'm still not healed. I thought by now. And all of these unmet expectations create worry in our life. Because it's not that we don't necessarily believe God's good. It's that we question and presume on his method or on his timing this was kind of happening in uh in the book of luke when jesus had raised from the dead but hadn't yet appeared to all the disciples and there's a group of them that was walking on the road to emmaus now the problem with emmaus is it was about seven miles away from jerusalem they were going in the wrong direction and they're walking along the road all depressed because jesus was dead They thought he was going to be, and Jesus just appears with them, walking along the road. Hey, guys, what are you talking about? But they don't recognize him. It's a great story. You've got to look it up in Luke chapter 24 at some point. But Jesus is just walking along the road, and what they kept saying is, but we had hoped. We had hoped he was the Messiah. He was doing great. Man, you should see the miracles, the, the followers. He was doing great, but he's dead. We had hoped. You see, they presumed on the method. We had hoped that he was going to kick the Romans out and establish his earthly kingdom. They presumed on the method that Jesus had. They misunderstood that this was first a spiritual kingdom that will become a physical kingdom later. I don't want to presume on Jesus' method. I don't want to follow him, pursue the kingdom, and go, I'm pursuing the kingdom, but bring on the things, I'm ready for them. And if it doesn't happen within my timing and my expectations aren't met, I don't want to start questioning God's goodness as a result. I just want to pursue Him, not the things. Disappointment happens when we presume on God's method, and then we start questioning His will. To be honest, I think our expectations are often tied to this false sense of validation that we have than it is his actual faithfulness. You see, if I don't get the windfall, I don't feel validated. Well, it was never about your validation. It's about his kingdom. Jesus didn't say, seek the kingdom first, and you'll feel better about yourself. You'll feel validated. Just seek the kingdom. Just seek him. Don't have unrealistic expectations. Jesus wants us to seek the kingdom. What does it mean to seek the kingdom? Probably the simplest way to explain that is there is no kingdom without a king. The way that you seek the kingdom is to seek the king. It's to pursue Jesus at all costs. Get our mind off of the earthly things and onto the king. I promise you, when you get your mind off of the things and onto the king, worry goes with it. I love your testimony. She goes, God healed me of this thing, and all of the emotional pain went to it. Well, I don't have to focus on this pain anymore. I don't have to focus on the need that I have. When Jesus healed it, all the worry goes away with it. Sometimes it takes a while, but the worry goes with it as well. Get our mind off of earthly things. That verse 31 and 32 from Matthew chapter 6 Jesus says, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. I want to say this, and I want you to hear it the right way. Anxiety is the sign that characterizes pagan life. Anxiety characterizes pagan life. Now, let me help you understand the word pagan. A pagan is not someone who does bad things. It's not really a word we use a lot today, is it? But a pagan means someone who has no knowledge of God. 
And that knowledge, the word epignosis, actually is this experiential knowledge. It's not just a mental ascent, a head knowledge. It's I know Romy. I know algebra. Sort of. (laughs) Any homeschool parents with me right there? Just pretend like you know algebra. It's all... I know this stuff, but I know her. When he's saying know God, it's the experiential knowledge like you know someone else. A pagan is someone who has no experiential knowledge of God. So another way to say this is that a pagan lacks the knowledge of God, and we don't run after things like pagans who don't know God run after things. If you have no experiential knowledge of God, then you're going to run after things. That's what people who don't know God do. And we're not like that because we know God. We know Him. We've experienced Him. My biggest prayer that I pray for people is not that they would be convinced that God loves them, but that they would experience God's love for them. I can't convince you that your Father loves you. I can't paint a picture. I want you to experience it. What a difference. Because you experience it, I don't have to explain it. Maybe I do. I, I love that our church is kind of a this is that moment. Remember on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and people were going, they're drunk, what's going on? And Peter had to get up and go, oh, no, no, no. This is that which was prophesied. Like he's playing catch up. God's already doing it and he's trying to explain what's happening. I love that our church is a this is that church. When God just shows up, we're like, Oh, that person got healed of cancer? Yeah, um, hang on. The Bible says that if we lay hands on the sick, they will be healed. God, like I'm having to explain what God already did rather than teach something and hope that it happens. That's what the knowledge of God is like. It's the very experience of His love for us. But a life ruled by anxiety simply doesn't know God. So if I find myself riddled with anxiety and fear and worry... The problem is not that I don't understand. The problem is I have not experienced the love for him again, the love of him for me again. Faith, another word for faith is the assurance, is the sign that characterizes kingdom life. See, when you pursue the king and pursue the kingdom, faith is the byproduct of that thing. Did you know the faith to believe in God comes from God anyway? Like the more I walk with him, the more I am assured of his presence in my life. Somehow we're waiting for the faith before we walk with him. And he goes, no, no, no. The, walk, the faith comes from the walk with me. Like we're always waiting. What are we waiting for? Well, when God does this, then I'll serve him. When God heals me, then I'll give my life to him. But it's the walk with him is where the faith actually comes from. Just the decision to go on a walk with him is the first step. That's an act of faith in itself. But there's an abiding faith that comes as we continue this walk with him. If you walk with the king, you're going to see things differently. Because all of us, as human beings, we always have a choice of two different walks. I told you about the walk the devil wants to take you on. He took Jesus on that same walk in the desert to try to get him to get his perspective on things. It's kind of like this. I'm going to borrow you for a second, Akeem. The devil's like, Akeem, Prosser, you need to come with me. I need to show you some stuff. Come on. Things aren't really working out for you, are they? Not doing so great, I noticed. Look at this guy. He's got a bigger 401k than you do. Do you know that? He's crushing it in business right now. Why aren't you doing as good as he is? You know you got to make that stuff work. you got to pick it up, son. Look at this guy. Do you know how much Bible he memorizes? He knows more Bible than you could ever possibly hope. What good can you do? You need to be more like him. Walks around, keeps looking at people, and he's like, everyone's afraid I'm going to call him out now right now. (laughs) Look at this guy. He's got multiple kids. You only got one. What are you doing with one kid? You're not a real dad until you've had two kids. And until you're outnumbered and get three, you don't even know what you're doing. Man, go sit down. You, got, you better pick it up. You better pick it up, Prosser. That's what the enemy does. He wants to take you on a walk and compare you to everybody else. 
It's the walk of comparison. It's a natural walk. And yet God goes, would you take my hand? Got to put your Bible down. (laughs) He goes, hey, would you come for a walk with me? And he takes you on a walk. And sometimes he doesn't say anything. He just kind of looks at you and smiles. And he says, hey, see that bird over there? It doesn't even have a retirement plan. (laughs) And yet, look, it's building a nest out of the twigs that I provided for it. Isn't that awesome? Hey, look at that lily over there. Do you see that lily? It doesn't even know how beautiful it is. Isn't that amazing? Hey, did I ever tell you about the time that I knit you together in your mother's womb? Did I tell you all the little intricacies and the details of what I did and how I put those things together? And Do you know I created every single snowflake you saw? But when I created you, I had more creative thought towards that than I did towards that snowflake. Did you know that? Did you know how much I love you and how much I care for you? Do you know that there's no place that you're going to go that you don't have me walking with you? And I'll keep you by my side, hand in hand, all the way. You see all these other people? I'm talking to you right now. But God, what about, don't worry about them. Because when we go for a walk, I'm going to talk to you about you, and I'm going to talk to you about me. And that's what God does when he walks with us. And he walks us to our seat so that we feel less uncomfortable. (laughs) Gives us our Bible. It's two different walks. And I feel the pressure every day for both of these. It's easy for me when I start to see the things and the devil's like, let's go for a walk. (laughs) I love to hike, but there's some people I don't like to go hiking with. Slow walkers and walkers that are too fast. You ever have those? You've got to find somebody your pace. But there's some people I just don't want to go for a walk with, and I feel the pressure of the enemy to go, yeah, come on, take a walk with me. I'm going to give you my perspective. You need this, you need that, you need this, and you need me to get those. What does it mean by I need the devil to get those? To be honest, it means you got to get something in the natural that you don't yet have. You got to get better looking. You got to get better clothes. You got to get better articulation. You got to figure out how to raise money better than everybody else does. Because that's and it's looking at what everybody else is doing, and it's easy because you get on your Instagram and you're like, "Man, that church is killing it." Man, oh man, that guy. Look at the scripture posts he's got. Listen to that insight. And you're like, "I need to do this." And I spent all my day on the phone, on the phone. Here, here, God's just patiently sitting on the couch, just waiting for me to go for a walk. And I've got to choose to stop taking walks with the one who wants to give me his perspective and just take the hand of my dad. Take the hand of my father and walk with him and hear his love song over me and hear him describe the world from his perspective. Hey, God, what's going on over here? Don't worry about that right now. I just want you to focus on who I am And let me show you who you are. And our perspective changes. When I take my father's hand and walk with him, nothing else is scary. Nothing else is even worthy of worry. Because I'm with my dad. You guys have young kids. It's amazing the places you can go when they're just holding your hand. My, My little daughter, Bella, she'll go anywhere with me. Sometimes without me, she'll go too, but there's some places that I know she wouldn't dare set foot in. But when she's with me, she's like, and she's not worried. It's not because her dad is big and tall, but she knows how much her dad cares for her and loves her, and that I would lay my own life down for hers. That's what gets rid of the worry. It's the choice to walk with the Father and not walk with the liar. Let go of the hand of the one who keeps telling you what you need because it's a lie. 
You need the king and you need the kingdom. Take a walk with him. God will show you what's in store for you from his own perspective. You may think, I don't know what I'm doing. And God goes, it's okay, I do. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, we'll end with this. It says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. You know that verse? No eye has seen. Is a, I'm not going to sing it. We often end the verse there. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived, as if it's not possible to conceive these things. That's what the enemy does. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. You can't perceive it. But finish the scripture. These things God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. So the things that we can't see, it's not, well, I'll never see that. You can when you get filled with His Spirit. God reveals them to us by His Spirit. Because the walk with Satan is only a natural walk. It's looking at what everybody else has. It's looking at the resources of the earth and the limitations that it has. You need more of earthly things, so fix your mind on earthly things, and there's always going to be lack. It's a natural perspective. But the walk with the Father is a spiritual perspective. Clayton, can you understand? You are not limited to the resources of this earth. You have the resources of heaven. My medicine doesn't do that. That only comes when we understand that we have accessible to us the resources of heaven. I love medicine. But when people get healed of cancer and medicine had no answer for it, thank God I had His perspective. Thank you, Jesus, for taking me for a walk, holding me by the hand, reminding me that He who is in me is greater than He who is in the world. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The fear, the anxiety, the worry doesn't go away because I've got a bigger stick than the next guy. It's because you are with me. You are with me. And you've changed my perspective on what's possible. I pray our perspective changes. Pagans worry. Those who don't know God worry. Sons and daughters seek. They seek. When I feel worry coming on, it's just time to go for a walk. God, can we take a walk right now? It might be a physical walk for you. It is for Romy. You don't have to physically walk, but you feel yourself, God, can I go for a walk? Can I just sit in your presence? And to be honest, can you, can you maybe put the list away? He knows what you need anyway. There's a moment to bring a petition to God, but sometimes it's good to put the list away and go, God, I just need to spend time with you. I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. Sometimes it's time to go for a walk. I got to tell you, when you do that, your perspective does change. I've got a... There's two... Both these guys, Dave and Akeem, they didn't know what I was preaching, but they've had experiences in the last couple of weeks where they had the opportunity to pursue something that would have led to the things. I, don't, I remember we had a Bible study scheduled. We have a business Bible study every other Friday that Akeem leads. And he had a call from a, a big potential client. And the client showed up an hour early right at the time we were supposed to have Bible study. And you know that pressure? God, I know that you've called me to lead these guys in this Bible study, but yet I might miss this opportunity over here, but Akeem knew what God had already told him to do. So he shows up to the Bible study at 7.30, and it wasn't until about 10 minutes in that I finally figured out what had happened. I'm like, dude, you can go to the appointment. We can run the Bible study. But that's the priority of heaven. He's not pursuing things. And I was so proud, not just that he showed up, but for the reason that he showed up. That if I seek the kingdom first, all these things will come. So he made the guy wait, but he still got the deal. (laughs) And then I remember Dave, if you don't mind me telling this, I want the details of it. But Dave got a job offer this week. Is that safe to say? 
He's nodding, but I don't know if that's true. And it was a much better job offer than, he's got a good job, but this was really good. And I said, well, man, pray over it. And to be honest, I knew in my heart that this wasn't for him, for other reasons. But he's got to hear from God himself, and I know he does. But I said, pray about it. And so he calls me back, and he's like, or texts me, because I, I turned down the job offer. And he said, I went back through what God had been telling me, when, essentially when he's taking a walk with him. And this isn't any of the stuff that God said he had for me. So I said, no. I'm like, I was so proud of why he made the decision. He didn't make the decision because I warned him off of it. He made the decision because he knew what God had said. Because he's been walking with God. He's been hearing the voice of the Father and getting his perspective. And so saying no to the potential earthly windfall is easier when I know that God has something else for me and this isn't that. How do you get to that place? Because that can create worry. If I turn this down, oh my gosh, will I ever get an opportunity like this again? But he knows, oh no, I know what the Father's, I know what that voice is, and that's not God. But my Father said, this isn't it, because I've got something else for you, and this isn't that. And these guys are living free of worry. Doesn't mean it doesn't try to come on, but they're learning to hear the voice of the Father and follow His prompting and His leading. Because they are revealed by His Spirit. And we can know it too. Amen? Can I pray for you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, I thank you as your word says that you are with us. And as Paul prayed, that he resolved to know nothing while he was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I pray that we would know that. That we would know the power of your resurrection, the power of your sacrifice for us. I pray that we'd know, we would come to this realization that knowing you is more than knowing about you, but it's personal. And I pray you'd reveal to me and to us any unhealthy dependence on things. If there's area of our, areas of our heart where we've pursued the things and not you, I thank you that you gently lead us into that and help us to realize, hey, there's an area that you've been pursuing stuff but I want you to pursue me. And God, give us the courage to nail those things to the cross. That all we need is you. You'll provide the things. We trust you. We believe in you because we've heard your voice. And I thank you for the provision of things, but that is not my focus. Our focus is on you. It's on the king and it's on the kingdom. I thank you, Lord, that our kingdom advances forcefully, forcefully. We are taking light to dark places. We are taking salt to bland places. Your kingdom is advancing through us. Let it advance in us. Touch every place in our heart that's left unsurrendered to you, that's left unsurrendered to your lordship. Every place in our heart where we've created an unhealthy dependence on the things of this world. Reveal it to us so that when we surrender it, you fill us again with your spirit. And give us the perspective on heaven. God, that we will see healing where the world sees death. Where we will see breakthrough where the world sees demise. When the world says you will be depressed and sleepless for the rest of your life, we see sleep and joy in Jesus' name. I declare that over your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.